Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by New St. Andrews College. Today's culture shifts like sand, but New St. Andrews College is established on Christ, the immovable rock. The college is a premier institution that forges evangelical leaders who don't fear or hate the world. Guided by God's word, equipped with the genius of classical liberal arts and God-honoring wisdom, with a faculty dedicated to academic rigor and to God's kingdom, New St. Andrews College offers an education that frees people. To find out more, visit nsa.edu. That's nsa.edu. Well, here at Casa Ren, we have our son home from school because he was sick yesterday. He's not eligible to go, so he's playing on his keyboards downstairs. So if you hear a little background noise, that's what that is. Just one of the many things that uh, come along with life. You know, people get sick, including your kids, including yourself. I wanted to just talk about something that was a minor kerfuffle uh, recently on the internet, which is about the fact that the works of Rural Dahl have been taken and edited and reissued in a new form by sensitivity readers. Now, Dahl was the author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and other children's books. Very famous books were written, and these books have now been edited to bring them in line with modern ideology. So no more fat, for example. We say that something now we don't say people are fat. We say that something is enormous. So this generated a number of controversies because it's sort of like an Orwellian newspeak sort of thing where the new language is substituted and the old language is memory hold. I think there's actually a new biography of Dahl out, and somebody suggested maybe Netflix has bought out the estate. So it could be part of a publicity stunt as well. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I think this was interesting because this is something that's been happening to any number of works. Someone pointed out that the books of Richard Scarry have also been edited. Uh, they've uh, added and changed some of the graphics in order to uh, make them more gender equal. Uh, let's just say they want to put you know men in the kitchen instead of having, just having women in the kitchen and things like that. And of course, there were some Dr. Seuss books that were simply pulled from the market as well. And so this is a trend that's out there. And I think it's going to continue, potentially accelerate. Again, we don't know for sure the future. Uh, but today, you basically can't get anything published unless it complies with a lot of these ideological sensitivities. The question is, what do you do about all the stuff that's already out there? And the answer is, you re-edit it and redo it. And many people are complaining, uh, including, you know, some journalism groups and writer group like PEN America. You know, not necessarily a conservative group. But they're basically worried that this establishes a principle that works can essentially be edited to bring them in line with ideology. And like, well, you know, with all these people attacking books and libraries, maybe that opens the door for things that we don't like. So this was something there. And I um, I don't think there's anything per se wrong with editing things in order to Eliminate things that might be offensive by modern standards. So some of the things that we have that we think are these timeless classics have already been edited. Let's just say we no longer sing the original lyrics to my old Kentucky home at the Kentucky Derby, for example. Some of those songs are now changed and probably with good reason. I think there's this desire for people to have these sort of absolute principles that give you a sure guide for what to do in every situation 
But, you know, the world just isn't necessarily like that. And there are things that require wisdom. And I, I this desire to try to reduce everything to some absolute principles, you know, doesn't always work. And I think ties your hands in kind of ways you don't necessarily want to do. In fact, I, I've made some, what you call some edits uh, to books. I took uh, John Owen's uh, book, Mortification Sin, and adapted it into modern English, right, wrote a modern English transactions uh, translation. This is a Puritan book that was written in the 1600s, virtually impossible to read. He was a terrible writer, so I essentially translated it into modern English. And, you know, I also, I call it an adaptation as well as a translation because I made a few editorial choices of my own. So, for example, I didn't like his chapterization scheme, so I gave new chapter titles, new section titles, things of that nature. In a couple spots, I actually flipped the order of a couple things. Uh, but, you know, I tried to leave, uh, you know, everything in there. He was very anti-Catholic, and the book contains a number of anti-Catholic polemics. I decided to leave them in in my translation rather than take them out. I, th I think there was one place where there was just like a sentence. It was a gratuitous Catholic insult that uh, I removed. Uh, I, I footnoted it, so it's there. But, um, you know, so I don't think as someone who actually adapted a, a book a little bit that, you know, it's inherently bad. But we do see that this is part of the system of information control that is now people are now busily trying to impose on the country in order to suppress any thoughts and any material that does not line up with the current ideologies. And again, it's not so much even that they've made these edits, but you can be sure that the older versions are going to be essentially made unavailable. We saw this with the Dr. Seuss books, where like several of the old Dr. Seuss books were essentially unpublished. Now, of course, none of the big moneymakers, of course, were done. These were like lesser known works. Uh, but at the same time they did that, Amazon and eBay basically said, we won't even allow you to sell used ones to. So it's actually quite easy in some respects to memory hole some of these works. It used to be that if you wanted, there's like a golden age of books because of Amazon. And if there was a book that was out of print, you could just Google it and there it would be on Amazon and you could buy it from cheap from a used bookseller. Well, now a lot of these books are not so cheap anymore. I think some of it is just that these sellers figured out, hey, some of these older books, people who want them are willing to pay a big price. So we might as well price them high. But I've noticed that older books are now often very expensive. There was a book I wanted to read published not that long ago, uh, by Eric Kaufman, a political science uh, per, uh, scientist. He, I think he's from Canada originally. Uh, he now lives in the UK. It was called The Rise and Fall of Anglo-America, and it was published by Harvard University Press. So this was a mainstream, peer-reviewed academic book. For some reason, uh, Harvard had uh, decided to cease publishing it, and I went looking for it, and the only copy I could find for sale was eight or nine hundred dollars i mean this book is almost inaccessible so i got it through interlibrary loan uh but uh you know then subsequently um uh hoffman recaptured the right somehow it's actually available for free uh pdf on his site it's actually a very good book by the way uh, i'd encourage you to read it and uh, it's interesting i think here's a book that was published not that long ago on harvard university press uh that essentially became 
difficult to acquire. And yes, there's still things at the libraries and probably some of the academic libraries are never going to get rid of things, but it would be actually pretty easy to make it possible, make it very difficult to acquire certain titles, particularly as sellers and things uh, now routinely, uh, you know, essentially censor work and say, look, these books we don't like, not going to allow you to sell them, not even allow you to sell used copies. So this is a real problem, I think, what I call information control. And what are we going to do about it? Somebody on Twitter uh, put out a tweet. Uh, I don't remember exactly who it was, but I thought it was very informative. And he sort of said, do this thought experiment. What would it take in order to stop or roll back these changes? He's talking about the doll books, but he's basically talking about these editing of books. Think about that. What would it take for us to be able to stop and roll it back? And then, would you be willing to do that? And I think this is very illuminating because what you see is, I believe, the vast majority of people who are shrieking about these things would actually not countenance any of the actions that would be necessary in order to stop them. You know, they like to write sternly worded tweets or uh, indignant blog posts, but really at the end of the day, they are unwilling to do what it would take in order to stop some of these negative things in our society. You know, not saying that they actually had the power to do it, but even if they did have the power, they wouldn't use it. And that's why so much of our opposition in society is totally ineffectual. Now, again, here you might find some mechanism by which they would approve, oh, if you were able to get billions of dollars and somehow get Netflix to part with the rights and buy them or buy the publishing company, then you could choose to reissue the original editions. They'd probably go for that. But basically, I think it is interesting that so many of the things people complain about, at the end of the day, they would simply reject the idea of doing anything that might actually stop them. And in fact, the idea of doing something they might find many of those things actually more horrible than the stuff they spend most of their time complaining about. So it's a useful thought experiment, I think, to evaluate people who are complaining about society. This is one of the things that I uh, kind of said about Patrick Deneen's book, Why Liberalism Failed, that I didn't like. He writes this basically screed against liberalism and how awful it is. And yet, he basically explicitly says, you can't try to replace it with anything else. Instead, just go have front porch republic style, small, neo-Tocquevillian efforts like inviting your friends over for dinner or something like that. And like, you know, your your purported solution does not match your complaints. Obviously, he is not as dissatisfied with liberalism as some, uh, as he might purport to be, at least based on that book. I'm not a comprehensive student of his thought. Maybe he's updated his thinking since then, but that was one uh, that I noticed. But realistically, none of us have the power to do it, uh, and, and so the idea of whether we would use it or we would seek some mechanism to use it, the reality is we don't have these mechanisms. And so complaining about things often becomes, you know, essentially a cope. We, we, get, we seethe over these things. Ultimately, we're completely impotent to do anything about them, so we're sort of just burning up cycles on them. Sort of like I'm doing here a little bit, only I'm actually going to transition to something else here in a moment that's going to be very practical. And of course, it's human nature to do that. We all like to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think a lot of times people are, again, spiking their cortisol levels, getting upset about things that at the end of the day, they can't do anything about. But in this case, I do think there's some responses that we could take. Certainly one response we could take that 
would be a practical thing. And that is to say, let's buy hard copies of books that we think we want to have that uh, might be subject to getting revoked or which might be subject to some sort of stealth edit. One example is a dictionary. So I didn't have to acquire a hard copy because I already had an older edition of Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, but Merriam-Webster is now deleting and changing, not deleting, but they're changing the definitions of any number of words to simply make them ideological compliant. So if you bought a dictionary today, this dictionary is going to define words incorrectly, not necessarily in uh, uh, alignment with their common usage, but in alignment with their ideological usage. So the idea here is for the dictionary to be part of the system of information control in order to bring this ideology to, to the masses and essentially impose it. So you might want to have an older dictionary. You might want to buy, and again, I'm not sure when the dictionaries started going bad, but probably if, if it's you know five years older or more, you could have it. Another example of a book that I bought that I haven't even read is called Dataclism. And I believe it was written by one of the co-founders of OkCupid, the dating site. And the reason I bought it is that it was suggested to me that there is a ton of politically incorrect findings about how people behave on online dating sites. And there was some belief that that might actually end up getting taken away. Now, uh, possibly, is that true? You know, Maybe it is. Um, I don't know, but I do know that some of the things that I have shared about OkCupid research, you know, namely, you know, the men, how, you know, the attraction of men and women, and all that stuff, it's already been memory hold. You know, OkCupid has deleted all of that data and it basically only exists, maybe some of it in the Wayback Machine, others of it uh, in, uh, you know, references from web pages other people wrote. So I already see that they have deleted certain material and so, yeah, the idea that this book might disappear at some point is there. So I, I bought a copy because I'm very interested in objective data about how people behave. And OkCupid really has the data. And there may be more than that in there, but that's a book that I bought. And by the way, the uh, Wayback Machine can't necessarily be trusted either. They've been pretty good, but now there's increasing pressure being brought to bear on them to purge uh, older archived versions of websites. So it's not only an, it's not only sufficient that Alex Jones be banned off the internet today, you have to go back and delete everything off the Wayback Machine from Alex Jones so that nobody could pull it up. And so this is one. And then also sometimes people themselves arrange to have stuff deleted out of the Wayback Machine. I believe they have to delete it if you tell them to because of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So if there's anything that you want to save, it's an electronic document, you need to have your own archive. I believe I saw some software out there that allows you to essentially create your own personal Wayback Machine for certain sites that you care about. I don't do that, but if I find interesting documents online or interesting web pages, I save them off because you just don't know if things are going to disappear. And some of it's just, you know, plain link rot. You know, people rearrange their websites, they unpublish old stuff or it moves. But again, there's a lot of stuff people are looking to get rid of. So we're going to have to start thinking a little bit more about what things do we actually want to have? What things do we want to have copies of? Uh, because if we don't do that, we might find that they be the uh, barrier to accessibility goes up a lot. This system of information control, uh, whether it will succeed, I don't know. But there's very clearly people with a lot of power behind them 
that want to suppress certain things that is not aligned with their ideology. So with that, uh, I will leave you that practical tip and talk to you next week.